Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, an uptick in distracted driving despite the new hands-free law, the latest on the state of lung cancer in Minnesota, and U of M students get high marks for voter turnout. But first... Problems with top management and overpayment errors at the Minnesota Department of Human Services have been on state lawmakers' radar screen for some time, but new information that came out this week expanded that scrutiny almost exponentially. MNN's Bill Werner is here to tell us about it. Scott, according to numbers supplied by the State Department of Administration at Republican lawmakers' request, 32 state agencies did not follow contracting rules, resulting in 1,800 violations of Minnesota law over the past year. The Department of Employment and Economic Development had the most violations at nearly 600. That's more than double the number at the Human Services or Health Departments. In addition to how to fix the problems, there is the question of who is to blame. This exchange between Democratic Senator Richard Cohen from St. Paul and Finance Committee Chair Republican Senator Julie Rosen from Vernon Center. If we were to look at an exhaustive list of some of these violations, it sounds like we would go back a number of years. And so we put the blame on the Carlson administration, the Ventura administration, the Plenty administration, the Dayton administration. Certainly the least amount of blame would be placed on this current administration since they've been there for all of, you know, eight months or so. And they've inherited a system, uh, and maybe there's a reason to offer some changes in the system. Maybe it's simply a question of, of doing a couple of things within, on an agency-by-agency agency basis to try to correct this. Second, what I've heard in this committee hearing is that there is a process in place to try to weed this out and deal with this. And the third thing I would just have to emphasize is, again, um, whatever has existed or not existed, this is a new administration. And although we have high expectations, and we assume they're going to jump on this, we've heard that they are jumping on this, um, uh, to suggest that it's the fault of the Walls administration, they've inherited, obviously, a history. Well, thank you, Senator uh, Cohen, for that. I, I still think that there needs to be some accountability for, for example, the $130 million on missteps from DHS in 2019 under this governor's watch, and it's, there's been a deafening silence from that corner office. It is very, very troubling that there's this attitude, and now we see it's an attitude across all the agencies, that we can go ahead and spend whatever we want, and then we'll get approval, and then we'll tell you what it's for. So this has got to change, and you can feel the frustration here, because we are trying to all work together but we have had no assistance either. And this is the governor's problem now. And, he, and, and it's not fair to say he didn't create this, but it is his problem. Well, Madam Chair, if I might. Senator Cohen. So, so, so Madam Chair, I don't think anybody is arguing that this is not Governor Walz's problem right now. He's the governor, obviously. Uh, whoever might have uh, won the election a year ago uh, would be the governor who would have responsibility to see what's going on within the agencies, even if the origin of the particular problem goes back to some other governor of however many years ago. Um, but I do object a little bit. Um, you know, should Governor Walls have called you directly relative to this? I don't know. Did you make an attempt to make an appointment to see Governor Walls? My impression of Governor Walls, and I guess I've been around a few of the governors, is that he is quite open. Um, so whether or not uh, 
Uh, Madam Chair, you and the responsible chair should try to set up a time to meet with Governor Walls directly. Uh, I'll, I'll bet he'd you know, be happy to do it. I don't know if that approach has ever been made to him. Well, well, thank you, Senator Cohen, and I've always enjoyed uh, working with you and, and the governor and the commissioners, but a simple phone call on both ends would be appropriate. We couldn't even get any of the commissioners um, to come, and I, 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 we got our information late, uh, and then when we got it, it was about two hours before the hearing started, so it has been very frustrating, and I, I know I'm showing my frustration. And so, where to from here? Senator Rosen ended this week's hearing saying, This has absolutely brought more questions to mind. So we will be continuing this conversation. And unfortunately, we are going to have to do a deep dive because and this committee will have to do the deep dive. Let's switch gears now from state agencies to agriculture. There's a shortage of propane in some areas of Minnesota as farmers dry their crops after a particularly wet harvest season. And Republican Representative Nathan Nelson from Hinckley this week warned those fuel shortages could happen more often if Democrats' Green New Deal becomes law in Minnesota. We do need to take steps, I think, to be, be more efficient and to be moving forward. However, I don't want to see our infrastructure having no investment in it. Nelson says Democrats want a moratorium on construction of new propane facilities, but he says he'll introduce legislation to protect propane supplies. Green New Deal backers argue Minnesota must move away from fossil fuels to avoid further climate change. And as long as we're talking about the environment, one of the biggest champions at the Minnesota legislature for environmental causes, Democratic Representative Jean Waginius from Minneapolis, announced this week she will not run for re-election after serving 16 two-year terms in the Minnesota legislature. What factored into your decision, Representative? Well, the biggest factor was the last election and seeing this great new group of people uh, who joined the legislature and walk, uh, watching them at work. Uh, they are so good. They are such good advocates. Um, they work so hard. Uh, and they're effective leaders already. So leaving is not hard when you know you're leaving in things in good hands. Environmental causes, uh, green causes uh, is the more modern term. Uh, are you talking about that in terms of this new um, uh, group of lawmakers, in terms of their level of skill, or does it go beyond that? Oh, it goes way beyond that. But what's different is that it seems to be part of the environmental, the clean water, the clean air, combating climate change is part of what they are about. It's not solely what they're about, but it's part of what they're about. And it seems to be strong with every one of them. I think it's a reflection of what's going on in the world right now. Representative Waginius was first elected to the legislature in 1986. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Citations for distracted driving were up in Minnesota last month. I'll have more with Department of Public Safety's Mike Hansen on this concerning trend when Minnesota Matters returns. Last night we put on an epic light show. Yeah, we did. The crowd loved us. We love the crowd. Wait, but there were only four people out there. Yeah, but did you see their four faces? All eight of their eyes lit up brighter than ours. <sighs> and we're fireflies. Yeah, we are. 
Hey, that one girl, she looked like she'd never seen glow in the dark like this before, and we invented glow in the dark. Yeah, we invented it. And we're going to be out here every night rocking out our light show at a forest near you. So come check us out. Check us out. And bring your kid all ages show. Oh, but uh, don't bring any of those glass jars because they make us kind of nervous. Yeah, and I'm super claustrophobic. Whether you're rocking their world or they're rocking yours, some memories never fade. Come alive with the forest. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a forest near you and discover other cool things to do when you go, like fishing, biking, or even camping. Visit discovertheforest.org. See you later. Yeah, see you soon. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Despite the state's recently enacted hands-free law, there was an uptick in distracted driving citations issued last month. I spoke with Mike Hansen with the Department of Public Safety about this troubling trend. In September, we did see about an 18% increase in the number of citations that were issued for the hands-free violation. Um, It's not unexpected that we're going to see that increase, and we may even see more increases in the future. Um, You know, when laws first go into effect, there are some agencies who may have adopted uh, a bit of a grace period uh, where warnings were issued, where, uh, as you know, now that we're, um, you know, well over 100 days into the new law, those warnings are now turning into citations. Citations. And I think law enforcement is becoming more aware of the effectiveness of the tool uh, that they now have to change driver behavior. And I think if you look at what happened to the lead up uh, to the enactment date of August 1st, we had a very robust and wide ranging public outreach and education campaign going on. So I think there was a strong awareness of the law as it went into effect. Now, after it's been into effect for a while, I think a combination of things, people maybe not uh, thinking of uh, that messaging that we had out there, and this habit is a very hard one to break. And people really have to make a strong effort to uh, put that distraction away and remember that hands-free means hands-free. You cannot have that phone in your hand at all. You can only interact with that device uh, using hands-free methods, which would be either single touch or voice activation. And any type of streaming or Internet access or application access or Snapchatting, those things always were illegal and still are. Um, You say it's not necessarily unexpected that this would be the case, uh, but I guess I'm curious. uh, It must be concerning that uh, in spite of the fact that it is hard for us to break some of our bad habits behind the wheel, it's got to be concerning to some extent that... Uh, that folks just aren't remembering the message or or uh, exercising common sense and staying focused behind the wheel. What do you what do you do to change that? Well, we're gonna we have another education and outreach campaign that we're going to be uh, starting up after the first of the year. So we're going to reinforce the messaging uh, that we had out there last year and uh, really kind of double down on those efforts to make sure that that every Minnesotan is aware uh, of the law and what you can and cannot do. Um, You know, a correlation that I could draw here is if you look at when the primary seatbelt law passed, you know, the the seatbelt citations, uh, the number of citations that were issued, you know, they increased for the first, you know, three, four, five years uh, after the law went into effect. But now we're on the downside of that because our compliance rate is going uh, up and up substantially in some cases. And so typically these, these landmark changes in traffic safety law 
it, it takes some time for people to change their behaviors and develop good, safe habits. Now, whether that's putting a seatbelt on or putting that electronic device away, it's going to take us a little bit of time to get that compliance up there. So, uh, again, that's, that's why it, yes, certainly we'd like to see no citations issued because that would mean everybody was complying with the law and making really good decisions to stay engaged with that driving task. But we have to have that enforcement component for those few Minnesotans that still haven't decided that uh, the law applies to them or uh, that, you know, this is a behavior that they're able to change in their own lives. Mike, for those Minnesotans that maybe don't have uh, safety as enough of an incentive for them to have good habits behind the wheel, uh, another incentive might be the penalties that uh, can be incurred for not following the law. Tell me a little bit about what the penalties are. You bet. And again, you know, the distracted or the hands-free law is a little bit unique in that it has a tiered fine structure. So what that means for the first offense, a violator can expect to pay somewhere around $130 uh, in fines and court costs. And then for second and subsequent offenses, uh, that fine uh, and court costs is going to run you well above $300. So uh, the the fines can be significant. Uh, There is also probably going to be some implications for insurance rates as this is considered a moving violation. Um, And, you know, God forbid that somebody is involved in a serious injury or a fatal crash, the potential of a felony level charge being leveled uh, is a probability uh, if a driver is found to have been distracted in violating the hands-free law. And my understanding is that citations are also being issued to folks, even though they may have the mount on the dashboard, folks are still sort of messing with their phones, even though they have that mount there. Uh, Maybe can you clarify for me what you can and cannot do if you have your phone in a mount on your dash or somewhere else? You bet. Uh, If you have the phone mounted, um, again, the only way you can interact with that is to use a single touch or voice activation. You still can't scroll on it. You still can't make repeated entries as you're trying to do something with it. So it's it's really very simple. You use a single touch. Occasionally, you may have to touch it once to wake it up and then touch it again to activate Siri or whatever uh, the other function is, but it shouldn't take any more than that. We have to remember that the whole idea behind that single touch or voice activation is to reduce the amount of time that a driver is distracted. So the more scrolling that's going on, the more keyboard strokes that are being uh, made or, or whatever the interaction is with the phone, that is critical time that a driver is distracted from that driving task. And so uh, quite simply, you just have to keep in mind single touch or voice activation, no scrolling, no tapping, uh, no excessive keystrokes, those kind of things. That's all against the law. All right, very good. Good information on hands-free. Anything else you wanted to add, Mike? No, it's just, uh, Scott, that we need everybody to make these good decisions. Remember that the roads are shared by your friends, your family, your coworkers, and uh, it, driving is a complex task. And then you throw in a day like today on Minnesota roads where we get a little bit of snow and things like that, and it's absolutely critical that every bit of a driver's concentration is on that critical driving task. That's how we reduce and eliminate crashes, and that's how everybody gets home safely tonight. Thank you to my guest. Mike Hansen with the Department of Public Safety. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The American Lung Association released the second annual State of Lung Cancer Report this week. 
which reveals that Minnesota has some of the best lung cancer survival rates in the nation. Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. The annual State of Lung Cancer Report examines the toll of lung cancer throughout the nation and outlines steps every state can take to better protect its residents from lung cancer. This year's State of Lung Cancer seeks to continue the positive trend of increased lung cancer survival as the nationwide five-year lung cancer survival rate of 21.7 percent, up from 17.2 percent a decade ago, reflects a 26 percent improvement over the past 10 years. Years. Here with some of the highlights from the report is Pat McCone, Senior Director of Health Promotions for the Lung Association of Minnesota. This is our second annual report on state of lung cancer and indeed uh, Minnesota has some really good scorings and really good news about progress towards reducing and increasing the survi- re- reducing the incidence of lung cancer or early catching catching the diagnosis and in, therefore increasing um, longevity. And when we look at the report, it looks like uh, Minnesota uh, is doing pretty good when it comes to survival rates uh, in the nation. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, this ranking? Yeah, Minnesota actually ranks third best in the nation for survival rates at 26%. The national average is about 20, 22%. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize that lung cancer is the number one type of cancer that kills more men and women than any other type of cancer. And for a lot of reasons, it's due to um, being diagnosed at late stage. And we've got a lot more tools and early detection that are um, increasing those odds and that life expectancy line. And, you know, you hit on this that that is so important that uh, oftentimes when lung cancer is um, diagnosed that it's in, you know, the, the, the later stages. Is there any advice for, uh, I guess, Minnesotans out there? Um, I'm, I'm guessing if it runs in your family, uh, there's things you can be doing, but any advice advice for someone? Sure. We'd really love to see those early detection, those screening numbers. Even though we're 12th best in the nation at 6.4%, that's still really low. So if you're somebody who's over 55 and you have a 30-pack year history of smoking, that would be a pack a day for 30 years or you smoked two packs a day for 15 years, or you're a current smoker and you've quit Um, or you've quit in the past 15 years. So really you have a pretty long history of smoking. You're at high risk and really should get screened and have early detection. Um, There's a quiz you can take. It's short and sweet that can, again, let you know if you're within that high-risk category to get screened. And, you know, uh, we talked a little bit about some of the rankings. Were there any other states that didn't do too good on this report or anything else that, I guess, stuck out in your mind, Pat? Well, I think, you know, it's not news to anyone that the number one cause of lung cancer is direct smoking. Um, But I think people are also surprised that folks that have never smoked also get diagnosed with lung cancer. It's no surprise that Utah has the lowest level of lung cancer rates because they have the lowest level of smoking and that Kentucky with high smoking rates has the highest rate of lung cancer. 
so directly related to those behaviors, but not always. I mean, it's it's not uh, because you don't smoke doesn't mean that you're not at some risk, especially in a state like Minnesota that has um, concerns about exposure to radon also. Well, lots of good information, Pat. Anything else that you wanted to add today? Um, scan early, uh, early detection. Let's change those numbers and really increase the survival rate of the number one cancer killer in our country. Thanks again to my guest, Pat McCone, Senior Director of Health Promotions for the Lung Association of Minnesota. To see the full report, you can head online to lung.org. Again, that's lung.org. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Up next, reporter J.W. Cox has the latest on the U of M getting high marks for voter turnout. When Minnesota Matters returns. back to Minnesota Matters. The University of Minnesota is celebrating another win this week, this time not on the football field, but at the ballot box. The U was recognized as best in class among large public universities when it comes to student voter participation in the 2018 midterm elections. Reporter J.W. Cox sat down with one of the people leading the effort to get students to the polls. Scott, for University of Minnesota legislative advocate Mike Miller, it's all about changing the narrative that students in America are marked by a lack of enthusiasm for voting and civic engagement. When I started in 2015, we made it a priority to see if we could increase voting rates among our students. At that same time, the Association of Big Ten Students came up with the first voting challenge, and we came up with a plan to do some things, uh, including setting up our own uh, university system for online voting. We did that in 2016, and we had really good results. I sat down with student leaders, and we decided to really make voter turnout a priority in 2018, not only for the political aspect of it, but just because it's the right thing to do. And the results speak for themselves. You know, 58.7% turned out to, to vote. Obviously, your efforts since 2015 are a big reason why you see these numbers, but what have you learned about the students at the U that have come through that make them more likely to turn out in higher numbers to register and to vote, perhaps, than other large public universities? First of all, it's Minnesota's culture. You know, we lead the nation in voting across the board. Minnesota values democracy. We value having our voices heard. I think it was the way that we kind of changed the narrative a bit where as we weren't using the old tropes, we weren't saying, you know, make sure your voice is heard. If you don't vote, you don't complain. We didn't say anything like that. What we said to students was, be a voter. And we provided them with reasons why they should be a voter. You know, we didn't tell them any issues they should vote for, but we ran, like we ran a commercial that showed students with the various reasons that they had for voting. Some were as simple as, because my voice matters, but others were, my great-grandmother couldn't. My grandpa always told me to vote because he grew up in the South and he couldn't. What are you honoring? Why are you going to be a voter? And we we inundated them with it. And the other thing that I want to say about this cohort of students, people love to rip millennials. Millennials are, from my experience, millennials at the U of M, are some of the most hardworking, selfless, dedicated people. And 
I have never seen the uh, any examples of the kind of laziness that people tend to say that this generation has, because what I've seen is hard work, a commitment to volunteering, a commitment to bigger causes. And when you see that in even a small group of students, peer pressure is huge. If everyone says to their friends, you know, hey, you know, I'm heading over to, to vote early because we had an early voting station on campus. I'm heading over to vote early. Are you coming? You know, if the other student says no, just Minnesota students say, why not? You mentioned that you made it simple for them. Students can often face unique challenges, I think, when it comes to voting. They might be displaced from where they normally have been and things like that. What are those challenges that you see that have been some barriers in the past, and how has this program and how have your efforts helped address those from an institutional standpoint at the U? So one of the things we did is we partnered with a, a nonprofit called TurboVote. Their system that we use for online registration allows students to not only register, and also request an absentee ballot from home if they want to vote there. It provides them with regular updates, kind of reminding them what deadlines are, what the things are that they need. Another obstacle young people often face is a lot of our students have full loads of classes, jobs, and a lot of them volunteer. Time is just not a thing they have. So we made sure that they knew that by pre-registering, you know, not waiting until election day to register, it would cut down on their time at the polls. And then also having the ability to you know, vote early right on campus. And now, even heading into 2020, we've done something even more exciting. Um, we've taken that TurboVote system. We've now added that to, it's called MyU. Every student has a MyU page. And through MyU is how they register for classes, handle their financial aid. It's uh, where pay stubs are for on-campus jobs. It's just a big information hub. For 2020, we've added registering to vote as part of MyU. So now students will be reminded from the first day of school starting the, this fall to register right there. When you talk to the community groups, when you talk to maybe it's the faculty members or, or the people in the administration, what has been their response to making it such an effort to get students out to vote and the importance of that? I could not have better partners in the administration. I could not do this alone. From President Kaler to President Gable, you know, I've kind of had free reign to try things, to see what works, um, to build on to build on what does work, and to get rid of things that don't work. You know, the student groups have been amazing. The leaders of student groups have been amazing. The people in the Office of Institutional Technology have wanted to be a part of this, and they've been great in helping us kind of use technology to, to reach students. I've gotten zero pushback from anyone, and in fact, it's been nothing but people going out of their way to find answers to problems that, that you know, if one student comes to us and says, you know, I never registered to vote because of X, we look at X, and is there a way we can solve that? And if so, let's tackle it. And so kind of by taking a problem-solving approach, um, looking at everything as a challenge and not just something we can't deal with, we've had really good institutional success. And it's not just at the Twin Cities campus either. All of our campuses won fields in the all-in challenge. I think the lowest percentage we had was somewhere around 48% turnout, which is still way above the national average. And that was still about a 20 percentage point increase over 2014. Everyone we've talked to has been on board. This is exciting. This is good. You know, we all see it as a, as a way to make sure that our students are not only getting the skills they need to go add to Minnesota's economy, but also to add to Minnesota's culture by being good citizens. 
Miller says they'll employ similar strategies leading up to the 2020 primaries and general election, and he's confident they will see the success continue. Scott, back to you. Thank you, JW. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.